0: Hello, New Life. I'm Gil. I'm from London, England, uh, and it's my privilege to preach for you guys today. I'm going to be preaching from John 17, if you guys have Bibles there, verse 22 and 23. Uh, But first, I'll give myself a little bit of a, or give you guys a little bit of background about myself, why I'm preaching for you guys. Um, So Andrew and Anne uh, very kindly have invited me uh, to speak. I met them first. I met you guys first in uh, November of 2019. It was the uh, the winter, and I was staying with some guys in uh, Waterloo, the University of Waterloo, actually, and I, I needed some fellowship, so I woke up at 5.30, I got the bus over and was just in time for your morning service. Um, and I prayed the night before, oh God, um, I just prayed that there would be uh, someone there who would invite me out for lunch. And sure enough, Andrew and Anne invited me out. We had a great Take out. They even gave me a tour around Toronto. Uh, and it was an amazing answer to prayer. And I've never forgotten it. Um so that is why I am preaching for you guys today. That's, that's how we made the connection. So um this is John 17, 22 and 23. Verse 22. And I'm going to do some actions, by the way, just to kind of help us understand because there's some tricky pronoun stuff going on here that Jesus is doing. He's speaking um as the the i i uh, it, it, whenever it says i in the passage it's talking about jesus whenever it says you it's the father and when it says them it's talking about us the church okay so verse 22 esv translation here the glory that you have given me the glory that you have given me i have given to them that they may be one even as we are one i in them And you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. I'm just going to pray. Father, um, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to preach this message. Father, I just pray that as um, I preach, that hearts would be softened to hear what you are saying. Oh God, uh, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus could have prayed for anything. Imagine that you were him for a second, just in this moment, uh, described in the passage here. Your goal is that the world would believe. See verses 21 and 23. And you can pick one instrument of choice. I might pray a bit silly, but father, father, What's well, this amazing idea how about you write my name in the sky j-e-s-u-s every morning with the clouds how's richard dawkins going to explain that or father let your angels come down every sunday morning and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth or father every easter let me come down as jesus let me come down and do some miracles for the people but although he could have, although he could have used those methods to show the world how amazing he is and show show the world the gospel, he didn't. Instead, he chose the church. He he, he wants to make use of us, and his prayer is that our oneness would be the evidence of the gospel. So not the clouds, not angels, not even oh, what was the other example? Not even Jesus himself coming down and doing miracles. No, none of those things. He wants to use us, the church. I'm currently trained to be a pastor. So when people ask me what I'm doing in life, we often end up talking a little bit about the church. Conversations often go something like this. They say, oh, interesting. So what are you doing? Oh, that's my camera slipping. (laughs) They usually say, what are you doing at the moment? And I reply, I'm doing a pretty boring job, but on the side, I'm learning or studying to be a pastor. Now, usually English people are pretty good at hiding their reactions and kind of smothering them in politeness. But somehow they can't quite keep the condescension out of their voices when they reply, oh, isn't church attendance dwindling or interesting? What they're really saying is, why would you want to give your life to something that's so obviously old-fashioned and pathetic? And that's generally what the world thinks. Where I live, there's a high Muslim population. Muslims are grown up as polemicists. They're taught how to attack other faiths. And they're quite good at it. Um the, the, the argument that they tend to use against the church. Uh, being the true people of God, is they say, oh, you're all morally corrupt and you're weak. In my experience, Roman Catholics claim authenticity by saying, well, we're obviously the true church because you guys are so divided and we're united. Therefore, we must be the true church, say the Roman Catholics. And yet what the world sees as old fashioned and pathetic and what Muslims see as Uh, weak, and what Catholics see as divided, Jesus sees as his glorious bride. The Bible is very clear about that. He tells the Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one. That's the church, that they may be one, even as we, Father, are one. Now, what does he mean when he says he's given us his glory? If, if we just quickly flip to Matthew 17, probably don't go there with, with your Bibles, actually. I put it up on the screen. Uh, we read from Matthew 20, uh, 17, 1 to 2. We get to uh, Peter, James and John get to peek at what is normally invisible. It says Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as the light. And as incredible as it sounds, Jesus is saying that just like him, we too, the church, shine like the sun. He says, Father, the glory that you've given me, I've given to them. As incredible as it sounds, that same glory is the glory that we now shine with. Now, of course, we don't look any different to anyone else who's, who's around us. But C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, imagines that it's, it's unmistakable in the spiritual realms. In, in this book, uh, C.S. Lewis writes as a young demon called Screwtape, who's being instructed by his uncle, Wormwood, in how to tempt and deceive Christians, who he calls his Patience. In this particular letter, Wormwood instructs Screwtape with the following instructions. He says, you see, Screwtape, one of our greatest allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out through time and space and rooted in eternity as terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, Is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy, but fortunately it's quite invisible to these humans. You see, all your patient sees is the half-finished, ugly-looking church building on the new building estate. For you guys, it's just the school gym. You see, one of the devil's favourite tactics is convincing us that really we're not anything special. He tells us week by week that we're just the same group of people. We just we just kind of believe the same sort of stuff and we show up on a Sunday. But really, I mean, there's, there's, there's certainly nothing supernatural about us. But the Holy Spirit, when he wrote the Bible, knew that the devil would tempt us like this. He knew that the devil would lead us astray and lie to us day by day. And that's why he wrote 66 books that we now call the Bible. And each one of these books is littered, I'm telling you, with illustrations for the church to remind us and help us understand just who we are. Take Ephesians 5, the the letter to Ephesians, where Paul says, he's talking about marriage. He says, this mystery, marriage, is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, If you're reading this carefully, you might be a little bit surprised about the way he says this. You might expect Paul instead to say Christ and his relationship with the church. It's a little bit like marriage. But Paul doesn't quite say that. He turns the whole thing on its head and says, you know, that beautiful idea of marriage. You have that perfect relationship uh, that every Hollywood movie portrays that beautiful thing where the guy gets the girl and they live happily ever after the whole reason that god made that the whole reason that god made marriage was to teach christians a lesson about how wonderful christ's relationship is with his church what do i mean there what i'm saying is um you know it, it what what came first here was it was it kind of marriage and then Paul later comes along and says, "Hey, you know, Christ and the church It's a bit like that. You know, that 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 nice thing that we will have called marriage. No, what Paul is saying is, marriage. The reason that we have a husband and a wife come together in beautiful union, the reason that we think that is anything good, is because God is teaching us a lesson about the much bigger thing, the church and his and 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 her relationship with." Christ. I hope that makes sense. Um, Or take Matthew 5. Um, The church is the light of the world, says Jesus. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. He's saying, you think you're just like everyone else, but you're really not. You're my special people that I've chosen just to display how loving I am to the world. And there are countless other illustrations that the Bible uses. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 1 Peter 2, a living temple, 1 Corinthians 3, the children of God, Romans 8, the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, God's own treasured possession, Deuteronomy 7, Jesus's own flock, John 10. And the list goes on. I'm telling you, it's in every book. The bottom line is that God wants us to be confident in who we are. His glorious church. So let's read the rest of the passage. Verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, Father. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved my church, loved them even as you loved me. See, Jesus has one chosen way of doing world evangelism. He doesn't just pray for more alpha courses, doesn't even pray for more Christian charities or more prison ministries or kids clubs. Not that any of these are wrong, but he prays for oneness. Now, on a quick glance, it seems a bit like a non sequitur. How does oneness result in belief. How do you get from oneness, Jesus? How do you get from the oneness of the church to the world believing? It doesn't quite make sense on first read. And that's why you've got to read the whole Bible in context. Let's go right back to the beginning, for example. Genesis 1, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, what does it mean to be made in the image of of God. Now let's consider the famous painting or image of the Mona Lisa. People have spent hundreds of years literally thinking about what she must have been like. There's a famous half smile. Some have wondered maybe she was sadistic or others have wondered maybe she was just trying to hold in a giggle. But we can see other things for certain about her. She was clearly European judging by her facial features. She was of a certain class, looking at her clothes, and she was of a certain era, looking at her surroundings. So we can see a few things about uh, the the lady who's portrayed in the Mona Lisa uh, just by looking at her. She's like a we, we can't quite see her. It's not like we can um, say no that this is exactly what she's like, but we can kind of get some things about what she's like just by looking at this image. Of her. Now, in a sense, we were created to be like that—not um, imaging the Mona Lisa, of course, but imaging God. We show we're reflections of what God is like. So, if an alien, for example, came down to Earth to try and find out what, uh, find out about um, what God is like, he would look at us. He would say, or, or, or humanity, he would say, "What are they like? How do they treat others?" or What do they care about the most? And that's how they find about God. Um, And had they arrived at the time of Genesis 2, here's what they would see. They would see there's no strife in these humans or envy. Everyone is completely selfless. Love seems to pervade everything from the way the humans treat each other, adore God and care for creation. Just look at the way that Adam cares for Eve and protects her and the way that Eve helps Adam. If these people are images of God, then God must be a God of togetherness and love. However, had the alien come at the end of Genesis 3, he'd have seen something completely different. Okay, so Genesis 2 describes the end. It describes the creation of Adam and Eve. It says, you know, and um, he he took Adam's rib and made that out into Eve. And they become one flesh. And Adam sings his song. Ah, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. All of that good stuff. The end of Genesis 2, we've got this great harmony. But now, had the alien come at the end of Genesis 3, which is the chapter where they eat the forbidden fruit, he would have seen something completely different. Can you imagine him touching down at the events of verse 12? He'd have found God confronting Adam, who'd just eaten the forbidden fruit. And he'd have witnessed Adam's angry reply. The woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I eat. He blames everyone but himself. This alien would have watched everything fall apart. By the end of the chapter, God stands I mean, God alone stands out as righteous, but he's divided from humanity. Adam and Eve's marriage is marred. God says to Eve, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he's going to rule over you. And three, man's once harmonious relationship with creation, even that has become bitter. Once a perfect re- uh, reflection of the image of God, we were reduced to corruption. We stopped reflecting what God is truly like because we'd lost our oneness. The newest Star Wars film, The Force Awakens, laments this reality. We leave the sixth film with Han Solo and Leia in, lo- in what looks like a healthy relationship. But some 30 years later in the Star Wars timeline, We see that it didn't work out. Something in us wanted them to be one and stay one. We wanted them to be together and stay together. Why do we care? Because that's our hearts crying out for what we were made for. We were made for oneness. And Jesus prays for it because he knows that the best way to win people to God is by showing them himself. He knows that people have become corrupted, broken reflections of God. And he wants to restore his church to being like what they were made to be. Okay, this is all big, abstract stuff, but let's bring it back down to earth. Okay, we've been thinking in big, abstract terms. Let's see what this actually looks like. So Acts 2 is a good place to start. After an awesome miracle at the festival of Pentecost and the addition of 3000 people to the church all in one go, Luke writes about the thriving new community of believers. You can't miss the oneness in what he writes. He says, Acts 2 verse 44 to 47, all who believed were together and had everything in common They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, get this, day by day, those who were being saved. He added to their number day by day. These early Christians weren't just taken up with a new social philosophy. Peter didn't even preach on oneness. But as they listened to Peter's words and the Holy Spirit began to work in their hearts, they were transformed. They became glorious reflections of God again. Once they'd been obsessed with themselves, but now their hearts were taken up with one another. And what started happening? People saw how radically different it was and they wanted in. See verse 47, praising God and all the people, sorry, and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Those who were looking in, they saw there's something so different about these guys and it's so attractive that we want to be part of it too. And that's exactly what Jesus prayed. He said, um, Father, let, let what you've given me be in them so that they, they might be one so that the world would believe. Jesus is saying, let their oneness preach me louder than anything else. OK, and that's exactly what happens here. Uh, the people in Acts 2 see the church. They are so one. They they love each other. It just looks so right. I want to be part of that. Exactly like Jesus prayed. Jonathan Edwards A Puritan from, I think, the 18th century, the 19th. I I never get my dates quite right. But he wrote similar things about a time of revival in his hometown where a similar thing happened. He said this work of God, this revival, soon made a glorious alteration in the town. So that in the spring and summer following 1735, the town never seemed to be so full. Sorry, the town seemed to be so full of the presence of God, it was never so full of love nor of joy as it was then. There were remarkable tokens of God's presence in almost every house. It was a time of joy in families on account of salvation being brought unto them. Parents rejoicing over their children as newborn and husbands over their wives and wives over their husbands. Can you see that as as these people um, began to enjoy the presence of God, they started falling in love with one another. Husbands found new love for their wives and wives began to again adore their husbands and all looked at their children with. uh, He says they rejoiced afresh over their children as newborn. So being taken up with God meant that the people actually became taken up with one another. Husbands, rejoice over wives, wives over husbands and parents over children. And again, outsiders looked in and they found themselves warm to this. And again, many were added to them. One more story. My dad tells a story about a time where him and his Christian friends invited some atheist friends around. The atheist just happened to overhear a conversation between my dad's Christian friends. One of them was a little bit exasperated. He was going on holiday for the weekend and he needed to use a car, but he didn't have one. Upon hearing this, his friend handed him his car keys and he said, hey, take mine for the weekend. The atheist friends were astounded at the oneness of these two friends. They said, you're just going to lend him your car just like that. And that's what it looks like. Those of us who have accepted Christ will begin to find that the way uh, we treat Other Christians, their wives or the way that we treat, treat, the way that they treat other Christians, their wives, brothers, sisters, mums and dads will begin to change just as Jesus prayed. So as I bring this to a close, what can we take away from Jesus's prayer of John 17, 22 and 23? Am I going to suggest that we knuckle down and try a little harder to love our brothers and sisters? No, Jesus already prayed that we would. But you might say, I don't really feel like I'm seeing that oneness. What can I do about that? And I can only give the Bible's answer. Spend time with Jesus. And bit by bit, he will do all his work. Remember what happened in uh, Jonathan Edwards' town? As people began to see God working their lives, as they began to hear scripture and pray together and love God, just as that... As that happened, they became transformed. It was just something that happened in them. It was something the Holy Spirit did to the people in Acts 2. As they heard Jesus in Peter's message, they just began to love each other. It's just true. It, I'm, I really don't want you guys to walk away going, oh, come on, um, you know, let, let's love each other a bit more. It doesn't work. We can't force love. It's got to be something that God does in us. God, only, only Jesus can make us more like Jesus. Okay, it's like 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one uh, one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Again, Jesus is the only one who can make you more like Jesus. Progress all comes from him. So the instruction or the, ex- the exhortation that I want to give you guys is walk in him, spend time with him, love him. And you'll find that as you do that, the Holy Spirit will change you and you'll find that you'll begin to love your brothers and sisters better too. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm just going to pray us out quickly. Father, I just thank you so much. For your son, Jesus, that he came down to rescue us, that um, he restored us to your image again. And as we just look at him, you have taken it upon yourself to change us from one degree of glory to another. We are so thankful that it's you who's building your church. It's not us who are putting in new reforms and trying harder to love one another. No, you say, just look at me. Just behold his face. And you will be transformed. And Father, I just want us to walk away, Lord, just knowing that, just knowing if if nothing else, that it's you who does it in us. It's you who's going to bring this oneness about. And it's you who's going to take you to the church through us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.